I was talking to somebody up in the mountains last night. It snowed up there. I told them I was going to be preaching here. I was asking them to pray for me. And I said, well, this is not one of your amen type of churches. And her response was, well, maybe they'll squirm in their seats a little bit. (laughs) So you can express that any way you want to. I'm glad to see you here in the Lord's house and to be able to preach to you in our pastor's absence. And uh, many people have made comments, uh, several have made comments to me about the sermon title. I believe sermons ought to be relevant, but I also recognize that you understand I'm not going to get political here this morning. The point being, there's a lot of authorities that we can put outside of our lives and we can say, I'm not going to listen to that person, or I'm going to get rid of that person, or I'm going to leave home, or I can do whatever I want and negate whatever authorities I want to have in my life. But you can't impeach God. And by the way, he doesn't require my permission to exist. He exists. And of course, we understand that. That's why we're here to worship. But we need to understand that there is a whole world out there. And it was repeated again in Texas where going to church on Sunday morning can be a shooting offense. There's a world out there that hates God. And we're not unaware of that. Nor are we powerless in the face of it. Now, I don't hear any amen, so maybe you're squirming in your seats. I don't know. You know, humanity has little intention of allowing any authority in their lives beyond their own. But that didn't stop God from sending Jesus Christ into the world. And this is what the scripture says about the condition of the world in the first chapter of John's gospel. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that came into being. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not comprehend it. And then it talks about John the Baptist and his witness. And says in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we saw his glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Now, Jesus said that those who believe in him, though they have never seen him, are even more blessed than this gospel writer who saw him physically as one human being sees another. And so we recognize some things from this passage of Scripture that we need to understand about our lives. God's here to make an offer to people, to lay claim to the world that he created, but he doesn't necessarily have to do that on our time schedule. He does it on his own time schedule, mostly because he is a God beyond time. You know, the scripture says, 
What does the scripture say about that? A day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like a day in the Lord's sight. He is eternal. And we don't grasp, you know, we have that little sideways figure eight in our mathematics that we think represents that. But eternity is something that the human mind cannot put together because it, we're not big enough to understand eternity. But if we can at least put that symbol over God and say, our God is eternal, then we know that he is beyond our boundaries. See, we, we tend to have these limits with God, and yet as the gospel begins, and we are preaching the gospel, that's what we're doing, but John begins in another place. He begins when God created the world. And he says, even before that, the word existed. God existed, and Jesus Christ the word of God existed. And the reason that we come together in church is to praise that God. You know, I say some of those things, and by the way, Jeff, thank you for the, one of those, that last uh, thing that we sang about God's promises. See, I grew up in a little world where God didn't make any promises. Did any of you grow up in that world? I didn't grow up in church. I grew up in a place where we barely talked about God, much less knew anything about God promising anybody anything. And when something good happened to somebody, they just had good luck. And when something bad happened to somebody, they just had bad luck. You know, we didn't pretend to know the will of God and we certainly didn't understand the promises of God. And our world was so little. Because we didn't know the one who made the big world. And a lot of people you know and work with and go to school with live in those little worlds, those little compartments, those little cubicles. And that's all the world that they've ever been exposed to. So your opportunity in 2020 is to open up their world a little bit, to crack the door and help them understand there is a big God up there. He is in us, and he is in his world, and he is active, and he is a promise-making God. And that's part of what he gets to do because he is eternal. He gets to make promises that none of us can make and even our institutions can't make. You know, I've always adopted the idea of being very careful about what promises I'm willing to make people. Try not to make any promises I can't keep. Or maybe even promises that I'm not sure whether I can keep. Because I believe that God expects me to keep every promise I do make. Jesus did that, and I'm his follower, so it's just logical. But God makes a lot of promises to people, and when we follow his paths, none of them fail. You know, my dad made a lot of promises that he couldn't keep. Other people 
teachers and other people made promises to me. And I suspect that we've sometimes made promises that we meant to keep but didn't. But part of the reason that God is able to keep all of his promises is because he sets a pattern both in his physical and his spiritual universe. And that pattern is something if we adopt, then we can receive what the scripture calls the blessings of God. 35 years ago, a young couple went to the Philippines as Baptist missionaries. A couple years later, Pamela, the wife, got amoebic dysentery. While she was being treated, the doctors realized that she was pregnant. And because of the severity of her disease, they counseled that even though in the Philippines it was illegal, that she go back to the States or somewhere and have an abortion. She and her husband decided not to do that. And one of the men that's going to speak at this conference was born in 1987 to that mother, Tim Tebow. Now, what if she'd have had that abortion? All of that witness that Tim Tebow had while he was playing quarterback for the University of Florida and that he's had since then with the Denver Broncos and the Jets and other teams. And, you know, yet Tim learned from his parents a lesson of faith. And he learned to let God be God and to accept God's promises and live God's way. And when he gave up on professional football after a few seasons of not being allowed to play, you know, a lot of people would love to just sit on the bench and draw a good salary and not be playing football. But Tim Tebow quit football with the words, there's more to life than football. And uh, for those of you who are interested, he plays left field for the Mets now, and I don't know where that's going to get him, but, but he's doing what he believes God wants him to do with his life. And his parents gave him that opportunity because God let them know how his promises could be fulfilled in their lives when the doctors didn't think they could. Now, there may be some people telling you about promises that you can't keep or other people can't keep. But just remember, they might be wrong, even if they have a degree in something. You know, the scripture tells us as we move into a new year that uh, we get to enter the kingdom of God where God keeps his promises. And it's a kingdom You know, you can talk about Disney World or Fantasyland. Sooner or later, you have to leave those places, don't you? Some of us are glad to do that, worn out after a day. But you never have to leave the kingdom of God. It, like the author, is eternal. And so every promise that you and I make or our institutions, our human institutions make, are limited both by time and space. and We can't make eternal promises except, guess what? You and I get the privilege of speaking for the eternal God to make promises in his name. Yes. 
And that's what church is. Church is a group of people being trained to know and make God's promises to his world. And, you know, sometimes we get met with these things that people talk about. Oh, well, the truth is, the truth is, the truth is. Well, the truth is whatever God declares. It's not my opinion. It's not the counsel of some university professor. And I don't hold that in disrespect. I have a doctor's degree. But we cannot depend on human agencies to come up with eternal truths. Does that make sense logically to you? So what is the truth about truth? The truth is it is good. The truth is good. You know, most of the time when people want to talk about the truth, they want to just tell you, oh, something bad. You know, the truth is you can't do that or the truth is we can't do that for you or the truth is your child can't be the student that you hoped they were or whatever the truth is. It usually, that phrase usually introduces the idea that there are severe limits in the world. The truth is that an eternal God lives in a boundless kingdom, not ruled by our opinions, and the truth is good. The truth is that we serve a good God who is alive doing good things, has been doing these for thousands of years, and whatever the situation is in the Middle East, God's going to take care of it. Whatever the situation is in my life, God's going to take care of it. Whatever the consequences of somebody else's actions on me, it's going to be all right because God's going to take care of it. And that is the truth. That's not just optimism or, you know, thinking positively. Some of you, like me, you're old enough to remember Norman Vincent Peale and the power of positive thinking. Yeah, well, the power of positive thinking doesn't always lead us to the truth. But the promises of God do. You know, uh, I mentioned a while ago my collision with a Ford automobile at 50 miles an hour head on. There were experts. Of course, I was, I was not really there at the time. But there were experts who got me up off the highway and put me in a helicopter and didn't think I'd live 20 minutes to get to the hospital. There were four surgeons, the best in the business in that region, who didn't think I'd live 48 hours. There was a neurologist who just shook his head as I came down the, on my walker, down the corridor to his office to get a checkup with the neck brace on, who said, you know, when these surgeons were working on you and they brought me into that room and said, what are we gonna do about his neck? I just had him put this collar on you because I thought to myself, he probably won't live long enough for me to worry about his neck. Experts don't always understand the truth. They understand as much as they know about it. 
And thank God they work hard to know as much as they do and to operate within the bounds, within the limits of what they do know. And of course, we all realize that with doctors, preachers, and all the rest of us, we only know what we know. Now, I've spent a good deal of my life learning things, still learning things. And uh, God's not through with our world, so I'm going to keep on learning things. But here's the thing. As I ended my 35 days in the hospital, a couple days before that, there was a doctor standing there in the room with a couple of nurses I was talking to. He walked in to give me kind of a final check mark to release me. And he heard me talking to them about God and how God had healed me. And when he stepped up to talk to me, he said, the truth is I'm confused about God. He was from another land and another religion. And he'd heard a lot of things about God. And he just was a very honest man. But he also said that one of his neighbors had invited him to a home Bible study. A couple of doors down from his house. And so rather than try to preach him a sermon laying on my back, I said, you know what? The only thing I have to say to you is you need to go to that Bible study and find out the truth about God. Because there's nothing like the truth to end my confusion. There are a lot of people out there that are confused. Now, I know every one of us, because we're in what we refer to in our culture as the Bible Belt, I'm not sure there's much of a belt left. But we, we know lots of people who are recalcitrant, resistant to the truth. And I understand that. Preacher buddy of mine back when I was young and he was older referred to those people, being a country preacher, as burnt over stumps. And he said, I hope you get the opportunity to preach to something besides these burnt over stumps. Well, I have had that opportunity, but I will tell you that I've also seen those burnt over stumps come to life. And God can do anything. The scripture tells us in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But we have to choose whether we are going to hear what God has to say. Um, One part of understanding the truth is that when I do come face to face with the truth, I have to give up, in order to accept the truth, I have to give up some lies that I've chosen to believe. Years ago when my daughter was in college, she had a foreign student as her roommate. This young lady came to our home during the holidays. She couldn't fly back to Japan and spent her holidays with us. And she made the observation at one time, well, you know, I see that Christianity isn't just a religion, it's a way of life. Amen? I want to tell you, I'm glad to be among a people in a church that believe that. And I I hear it constantly of what's being done and who's doing what to whom. And, you know, 
things are good. And that's the way they ought to be because the truth is good. And when we live in the truth, walk in the truth, life should be good despite its troubles. Well, when Keo was presented with Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, she listened patiently and kindly, and then one day she said, you know, the problem is, if I say that I believe in heaven and hell and Jesus Christ as the Savior, then I'm saying that my ancestors are burning in hell right now. What a thing for a young woman who didn't even believe yet. But she recognized the logic of the truth. And my response to Kyoto was, Kyoko was simply this. Listen, whatever you say doesn't change the truth. They are where they are doing whatever they're doing. And you are here at this moment of decision, choosing to do whatever you do or don't do. And praise God, she got on her knees with us in that den and gave her heart to Jesus Christ. Now she's teaching for, for two decades or more. She's been teaching school and she leads a, a group, an international debate team that flies to New York City and I don't know where all. I think they flew to Paris. It's an amazing thing what God can do with people like Tim Tebow and Kyoko Gondo and us. Because these aren't singular stories that we just pull out of the air and say, oh, this is a good one. Yeah, it is a good one. Because the truth is good. And when it enters to a person's life, it makes things the way God intended them to be from the beginning. Because the truth about God is he keeps all of his promises. You know, God tells us who he is. And yet uh, we have uh, groups of people, renowned groups of people all over the earth. And we've had them from time immemorial telling us who they think God is. Well, you know, that's, that's fine and dandy. But let me say this. The game of games is not the game of thrones. The game of games is called philosophy. Philosophy is a game in which we define our own world. And then we get science and logic to go out and prove that we're right. Does that sound reasonable to you? That's what philosophy is. Now, we can go all the way back to ancient Athens and listen to Paul when he went into the, the temple and he said, oh, I see over here you've got this, this statue to the unknown God. Well, that's the one I want to tell you about. See, when you and I share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people, that's who we're talking about. We're talking about the unknown God. Because if they knew him, their lives would be different. He is a God of transformation. He is the living God. And he's not just one 
who says who he is, he puts his power into action. And so, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and all things came into being through him. In him was life, and life was the light of men. Truth exists. God exists. They don't need my permission or my definition. And they change people's lives. A few years ago, I met a a man who had retired to Boone where we were working. And Andy had left Honda Motors as an engineer. Good job. He had 247 people, I think he said, working for him. Lost his wife to cancer and just couldn't function after that. And because of that, after a week or two, his bosses came to him and said, Andy, we can't keep 250 people out there waiting on you to do something. If you can't do your job, then we have to find someone else to take that position and do that job. And you've been good with what you're doing, and we'll put you in here at a lesser job with these young engineers and and let you work with them. And he said, you know, I tried that. But he said, uh, those guys did this. He said, they got up at 530 in the morning and went into meetings and did this for an hour and a half. He said, I couldn't do this for an hour and a half. My brain couldn't, couldn't function like that. And so he, he left his job, retired early after his wife's death. And after Ann's death and three suicide attempts, the man who had spent his entire adult life ridiculing people who believed in God came to Boone, North Carolina with his fly fishing equipment at the invitation of, of some of his family to get away from all that. He sold his house and moved down there. But the problem was he moved in with them and they didn't want Andy. They wanted the stuff Andy had. They began to steal his wife's jewelry and anything else he brought that was of value until he finally got taken out of that home by the sheriff's deputies for trying to protect himself and somebody else in the home. And I met him down at the county courthouse, or down at the county jail, rather. And after a few months of friendship, Andy sat in front of me and said, I need God in my life. Now, see, God changes people. It doesn't matter if they are burnt over stumps. It doesn't matter if they have ridiculed. Why do you think he saved Saul of Tarsus? He said, I'm going to lift you up and show the world what kind of, oh, he didn't worry about showing them what Saul was. He said, I'm going to show the world who I am. It was the might of God, the power of God, the transformation of God that we witness in Paul. And so we say, okay, when I read what Paul has to say, I realize he's not just speaking as one human being to another, but he really does represent the almighty, eternal God. And I really can see God in his life, 
in his sufferings, in his victories, in his words, in his letters. God is a God of law and love. As a matter of fact, we sang a carol a couple weeks ago that said, his law is love and his gospel is peace. And so God's promises are recorded in Scripture and displayed in Jesus Christ. And we can take some of them as warnings and we can take others as rewards. But God is a God of promises. And as we move into a new year, what does God want for me? He wants me to take, accept his dreams. You know, Tim Tebow gave up dreams that were excellent He traded them for dreams that were eternal. And he said, there's more life than football. And so when we enter this new year, we can look at some things in our own lives and say, you know, there's more to life than whatever that is. And what God's eager for me to do at the beginning of a new year and even every new day is to live in his world, his eternal kingdom, and not just walk as other men and women walk. And so that's our challenge if we belong to Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is Emmanuel. He doesn't require a special building. He doesn't require a special wardrobe for those who represent him. He doesn't require a chime or a bell to ring so that we Okay, it's time to talk about God now. God is with us. Jesus, Emmanuel. And it's not God once with us. You know, that's what the world kind of has in the back of their mind. Yeah, he came, but now he's dead and gone. That was 2,000 years ago. He is not God once with us, nor is he God once in a while with us. He is God once and for all with us. I'm squirming your seat if you'd like. (laughs) And so what does that do? It brings us to the truth about love, that love works 24-7 and God is love. 1 John 4, 8. And we're promised in Romans eight thirty nine, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, our pastor said two weeks ago, we can talk about love endlessly, but the water hits the wheel, or the way God saves the world, as he put it, is love at work, love in action. And Jesus, as we know, showed love to all kinds of people, came to earth in poverty and died in agony. You know, there's sometimes that I feel like if I could just uh, give somebody a little money, it would solve their problems and da-da-da-da-da. But, you know, over a period of time, you realize, first of all, you don't have enough money to do that. Second of all, money doesn't solve a lot of problems. In a lot of cases, it just creates problems. And, and we know, you know what I'm talking about. You ever witness an inheritance feud among children who you thought loved each other? You ever do like I did as a young man and see uh, your best friend and his wife divorce? 
because of the new house they built. It wasn't a lack of money. It's what we're going to do with it once we have it. God's solution is love, and that's who he is. And that's what Jesus did when he came into the world to save mankind. And in John's gospel, over here in the 18th chapter, as he stood before Pilate, uh, Pilate asked him the question, and I'm reading in John 18, 37. They had already had some discussion, and John, John records this. Pilate said to Jesus, so you're a king? And Jesus said, you say that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. See, Jesus created the world, and yet he had to choose to come into it. Now, why would he do that? Because he loved Pilate and me and you. And he was willing to give up his glory. He was willing to step out of the timeless kingdom into a place that was so limited, into a body that was so puny, into a world that was so small because of love. And that's what love does. Our job is simple. We love people like Jesus loves us. That's the only command the church has. We don't have any command about the color of the carpet, the size or arrangement of the sanctuary, or a thousand other things that we seem to kind of get, I'll use the old country saying our tails in a knot about. We seem to get crosswise of each other sometimes because, you know, we get bothered about my opinion versus somebody else's opinion. God's concern for me is not what I think of my world, but whether I love my world. And what does that mean? It means I'm willing to put myself into action to do something about it. In the scripture... John says in 1 John 3.18, Little children, don't love in word and tongue, but let us love in deed and in truth. And Ephesians 5.2, Paul says, Walk in love as Christ has loved us. So I'm going to bring you back to a question that we've had since I believe last May. Who's your one? If you belong to the Lord, somebody needs to be on your heart. And I want you to take out a pen. If you don't have a piece of paper, I want you to write that person's name on your hand. Right now. I just wrote the name of my one on my hand. Now, if you don't have anything to write, then spend some time praying and let God tell you who that person needs to be. I have a neighbor that I barely have opportunities to talk to, but... Once in a while, we get a chance to talk, and little by little over the months, we're forming a relationship, and I'm praying that God will use that, because I've been in neighborhoods where Donna and I 
we had a block party years ago in a neighborhood in Louisiana, and people who lived across the street from each other for 20 years were asking us, what's that guy's name? We'd been there for six or eight months. So sometimes we have to meet people so we can have them on our heart, right? We can't just stay cloistered. Now I'm going to ask you, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, we're going to have an invitation right now. And as we have our invitation time, I'm going to ask you to respond to this gospel that we proclaim. Just say, I want to accept the promises of God. And in 2020, I want to have all that God promises me. I want to learn what that is, and I want to receive it. The scripture says that as many as received Jesus Christ, to them he gave the power to become the children of God, John 1, 12. So we're going to have our invitation time. I'm going to invite you to stand.